Um, I've been off for like a month, and um, we will begin a new sermon series through the book of James next week. And I've already started studying it pretty hard. And man, I I mean, I am seriously excited um, by how God is hopefully going to use this book to change our individual lives and um, our church as a whole. But today, we are taking a slight detour in our normal way of sharing the gospel um, through preaching by having some testimonies along the way today from members, a few members here at Christ Central Church. I grew up in a a religious tradition where we had something called watch night service. Anybody know about watch night service? On every New Year's Eve. And we would worship and celebrate and bring in the New Year together, praising God. And it was at that watch night church, at those watch night church services that, that people would stand up and share their experiences from that year and, and hopes and prayers for the coming year. They would share both victory and struggle, joy and sorrow and everything in between. And a little unlike what we're going to do today, sometimes for those of you know the old church culture, familiar with what I've been, uh, was a part of, sometimes folks would even stand up and do a song to share their hearts if they could sing or not sing. And my dad was a musician. He'd try to find the key and make them adjust to the right key. But central to all of their testimonies was a highlighting and pointing to what Jesus had done and was doing in their lives. And, and in the black church culture I was part of, some folks would use this three-word commentary. Look at God. And those three words said and says it all, look at God, right? Because just in case you didn't know or you forgot or, or, or this is new to you, testimonies in God's church are not about the speaker. Strange, because it's about their lives. Testimony is is not designed to to make us jealous or ambitious to want to be like them or to create some sort of backwards hero worship. Testimonies are about regular people whose lives have become the canvas and the medium and the instrument of the Lord and his great work. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of Mark, That when Jesus was traveling on the bad side of town, there was a demoniac. This is someone filled with demons, with evil spirits controlled by them. And and those spirits tormented this man, made him hurt himself, and, and it relegated him to being a dangerous, hopeless outcast. Well, the Bible says that Jesus the demons out and and that man sat there free from evil and scripture says clothed and in his right mind this man of course he wanted to join in he wanted to join up and hang out with Jesus and walk with Jesus and his apostles and be part of the crew but Jesus told him no rather go home to your friends And tell them how much the Lord has done for you. How he has had mercy on you. Testify. And each testimony that you will see today 
My hope is that as we take this journey together, that you would come away declaring with them as they tell us what God has done for them, look at God. Look at God. I am the child of Southern Baptist black community activists who were very connected um, to the church. My family was from Huntsville, Alabama, and we moved to Northern Virginia when I was about four. And my family there started to um, set up a network there with, that was very connected to the black church. So Jesus has always been a part of, of my story and always been a part of, um, I've always known who Jesus was and kind of his role in um, my family and my larger community and then in the African-American culture. And so I think that, um, you know, it's just never been a question about whether or not I would go to church and whether or not I would know God and, and know Jesus. But, you know, sometimes as the old, old folks say, you know, when did you get to know him for yourself? I would say that I got to know him probably in my early 20s um, for myself and really felt like that was the first time I experienced kind of faith and in, in the presence of, of, of Jesus. My mother died suddenly um, at the age of 62 in 2006. And, and she died kind of on the heels of uh, my grandmother dying. And they both were very influential in my life. I grew up in an intergenerational home where I grew up and was raised by my parents and my grandmother. And so my grandmother and my mother died within 13 months of each other. Both of those deaths were really challenging, but the mother-daughter death was a little bit more of a, I guess more of a, just a severe wound. For me, it, it, around the five-year mark, the, the grief process just kind of got stuck for me. So between like 2006 and 2011, I was, you know, had kind of intellectually processed, you know, that she's not physically here and was able to go through the day to day. And my dad had gotten um, remarried and everyone, you know, we were all moving on and life was just kind of going along. But there was just still this, this piece of um, like this hole and of just kind of like un- a kind of excavated grief that I would, was carrying around. In 2011, I had the opportunity to go on a yoga retreat. I remember before I went that God clearly told me like you're, that I was gonna be, you know, he would meet me there and I would be able to kind of process this grief while, when I got there. That week really um, taught me some tools and some processes and some practices, which is what I really use yoga to do. Um, to really help me process some difficult emotions. I remember reflecting on that whole experience and I just had this overwhelming sense that, and knowing that just that, that Jesus just loved me so much that he met me there and all of the different ways in which he met me there, that he performed these miracles that were, that were just for me. And, and that was one of the times that I really um, felt his presence and felt really embraced by, by Jesus. My husband and I are not able to have children biologically. And we, um, 
have been dealing with infertility, had been dealing with infertility for about, I guess about 10 years now. And so um, in 2012, we decided that we would, you know, become a little bit more aggressive and, and we're going to undergo some fertility treatments. And um, I had to go into the doctor's office the day before the, the actual treatment. We, you know, I left that doctor's appointment unsure of what was even going to happen the next day. And this happened to be a Tuesday, which is the day that our community group met, which is um, Club Mimosa. And, and so when we got to community group that night, I, I, when I look back at it, I'm like, we just like hijacked the night. And the, the, the families in that group, you know, the, the Nazmiths and the Andersons and the, and the Lanier's just kind of held space for us in a way that was truly incredible in a way that we didn't even know we needed. And we, um, you know, they didn't try to offer solutions or try to offer, you know, rationale for whatever. They just, you know, just listened and just held us through that. We learned, what I learned then was that we weren't alone and that we had, you know, we had community and we had that community through Christ Central Church. There's not something, I guess, like big out there that I'm waiting for him to come through on. Um, I mean, even in the adoption, I I knew that he was in control and that he had our had our um, had our had our back and that he was going to deliver um, a baby to us. I didn't know how, you know, in what way. Where I'm still struggling, I guess, is just the the day to day, you know, minutia of things and where I'm wanting to exert control and where I think I'm in control um, and where I'm not, you know, I'm crowding out God to not let him be in control. Before Amika comes up here and we pray together, I want to let you know that I've had the opportunity to uh, get to know the sales pretty well over the years. And I can give commentary on Mika's story with a lot of confidence. She and I talked this week about her testimony. And the first thing that came up was the yoga thing, part of her testimony. And she even asked, surprisingly, they didn't cut that out? (laughs) She was worried about what many of us would be. And maybe that this is not the most orthodox way of talking about God meaning and ministering to you with all of the mixed philosophies, many of them Eastern mystic spirituality that have found their home in yoga. So how could God, the orthodox God, the holy God of the Bible, find her there and even draw her there to show himself to her? Because look at God. Jesus can meet you anywhere and goes here and, and, and goes where he wants to meet us. In fact, if you look at the story of Jesus and even in particular the story of, of, of the demoniac that we just talked about, Jesus was not being a good religious Jew in reaching this man. 
He went to one of the most unclean places religiously and spiritually to speak life to this man and took his disciples with him. He went to a place that was burdened by demons and greed and had rejected God for profit and was spiritually confusing, cloudy, and dark. But look at your God. Jesus went there and did one of the greatest works. In fact, historians believe that one of the first Christian church buildings was constructed there in that land in large part because of the testimony of this once demon-possessed man when he went back to tell his friends. And the key was not, hear this, because I know some of y'all in here. The key was not that Jesus was trying to be renegade and cool, doing the unorthodox thing. But that through it, his power, his person, and his grace was not clouded or confused, but by his ministry to this man, clarified and honored. Mika's testimony is powerful. The same Jesus that can walk on water and calm the seas can walk on a yoga mat. And while you may be feeling as downward facing as a dog, (laughs) he can take the salutation from the sun and focus it on himself. And though we aren't called to go look for these experiences, regardless of where you are or what you may be engaged in or unsure of, Oh, the room is filled with Jesus meeting us and calling us and finding us in all kinds of places and drawing us out into his truth. Jesus comes and he finds you and meets us and draws us and even can use all the means at his appointment that he is Lord over to lead you and draw you to the truth of his word. If Jesus wants you, you can't hide. If the Lord has called you, you will answer him. Amen? Mika, come up. Mike, come up. Bring the baby. If Jesus called me to yoga retreat, I know it was a punishment from him to try to stretch my body in ways that I've let it get to where it can't stretch no more. It'd be a punishment from the Lord of not taking care of the temple. (sighs) Let me pray for them. And um, this is Mike and this is Macy. What's Macy? Don't you have two names? Macy Faye. Macy Faye. And it's my mom's middle name. Yeah, she know me. Smiling. Um, but let me pray for Mike and Mika and Macy Faye. But let me let you know that the prayers that we're going to pray today are not only for the people in the testimony, but also um, what their testimony means broadly for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that um, you called Mika to be your child. And then you called a child (laughs) to be adopted by them, Lord. And you called them to be a family together. And um, Lord, we just...
pray for everyone who at this point is, is lost or going through a lot of stress because of death in their lives. Death of parents, loved ones, um, lots of confusion, Lord, lots of loss. Lord, we pray for those who have had a hard time as married couples who want to have children and who can't. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would give them the grace and faith necessary to accept that they are not to have children. Or Lord, even you may call them to adopt. Uh, Lord, or you may open their wombs. Lord, I praise you and I thank you for your grace um, to all your people today. And Lord, there are people right now, um, their only hope is a yoga mat. Their only hope is some sort of exercise or, or, or some sort of uh, meditation or something, Lord. Lord, we pray that wherever they are and anything they're putting their hope in, Lord, that you would come in and that you would intercede and supersede those things and bring your grace to bear on them and bring them to Christ and let them know your ultimate comfort and peace. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you so much. Oh, I could hug her too. I don't get to hug babies unless there's water involved. But, and that's when they cry, you see. Oh, let me think. Yeah, we have another testimony. I came to faith in Jesus in 1989. I had a series of events, I guess, happened in my life. I was pursuing basketball dreams, college basketball dreams. Those dreams shattered, and that was my whole world. So I ended up back home, me and a, my best friend, and uh, just living kind of riotous life, no basketball, nothing to take up normal living. So life just was partying, smoking, whatever we could get into. And I remember we both got jobs at the post office, and he came to work one day and said, hey, man, I got saved. Somehow him and his mom uh, got me to go to church. It's a little church in, in South Jersey. And I remember it was so small, maybe about 25 people, real intimate. And as this preacher began to preach, it started becoming evident to me, or so I thought, that they had told him something about me and about me coming. It was so small. It was just like, oh, he could kind of just come right at me with all this stuff he was saying from the pulpit. And I, I remember getting really, really upset at that. And I went back and visited, and this time it happened again. But this time the issues he was preaching about were things that nobody knew. It was just deep issues that I'd wrestled with all my life. And that day, just hearing him preach the gospel and his explanation of what sin was and the issues I was dealing with, I, I immediately understood that I was a sinner. And I also understood that I was in need of a savior. During that process, after, um, you know, kind of acknowledging and submitting myself to the Lord, like I talked about those shattered dreams, it was like the Lord began to give me something else because I was a part of this hip hop culture. I began to dabble in music. Um, but I was in a church being discipled and really didn't understand how these worlds were going to 
exist because they seem to be oxy, you know, oxymorons almost to be a Christian and to be a part of this hip hop thing. You know, something had to go in this in the culture at that time, especially if you were going to do hip hop or represent the Lord in the culture. It was dominated by um, Muslim hip hop was hip hop was dominated by Islam and from by five percentism. So if you were saying Jesus and you were unashamed about it in the streets, it was kind of dangerous. Me and a couple other young men, we really needed the Lord to, you know, if this was the way He wanted to do it, He had to show up. We couldn't do it. We didn't have what it took to present to people what would be, you know, attractive to them, what would make sense you know, in this life and in city life. Um, but throughout the years, the next 10 to 20 years, he did just that. Like he, he allowed us to um, just bounce around the globe and be able to proclaim the gospel and be able to make disciples and be able to encourage people about the, the exaltation of our God. I guess after about 10 or 20 years of making use of hip hop, as a tool to gather people and then to be able to preach the gospel when we turn the music off um, and using the industry as a Roman road. We went on some tremendous highs and then later on there were some tremendous lows that came along with it as well. You know, there were a lot of other things that happened that began to, you know, challenge the ministry. Um, there were people that ended up getting challenged. There were certain scandals that happened. And so it was a really, really difficult time. And uh, just saw some things change in life. And so um, after a few years, it was time for me and my wife. We looked around and said, maybe we should relocate. And then I met Pastor Howard. D. Lanier was someone who wanted us to come visit Christ Central and seemed like a great place for family, a lot of families and kids. And so we decided to relocate. And I think unbeknownst to me at the time and through a lot of different things that happened I was really wounded and bitter and confused about a lot that had happened in some of the latter years and uh, I think Christ Central was a great place that God had sent me to you know I think I got loved on in an incredible way by everybody um, especially um, you know the elders and the staff people that I would see every day and who I could confess like a lot of things that were going on. And more specifically, Pastor Howard has been an incredible friend. And uh, I think the Lord, the Lord specifically sent me to him and he's, he's really helped me through this time. The past 20 years um, after being called in a church and uh, prepared for ministry, um, sent out as a domestic minister to to go along with a group called Cross Movement, to go all these different places, and now to be here. And, and also, I had a role of, uh, I was, I ran the record company portion of what we did, so I did a lot of kind of executive administration work at the same time. So I find myself here at Christ Central as the DCO, and been very busy over the past two years or so. But now that things are starting to settle down, I think I'm beginning to struggle again with what it means to be in this new city and to still have this culture that I think needs leadership. So I'm struggling a little bit with what it means to have my feet down locally, planted by a church, supported by a church. Um, but what does that mean and look, look like for me now?
John, you've been a good friend to me too. So thank you so much. And at the end, John expressed um, struggle with what to do with the ministry of the gospel that God has used him in over the years, in particular through hip-hop music. I not only was a cross-movement hip-hop group records fan, but as a youth pastor, my first year out of seminary back in 98, God gave us a tool of ministry to reach those kids through John Wells' ministry. And today I thank God for the testimony of his struggle. Because there are many of you who are in transition right now. You didn't ask for it. And you know, it kind of reminds me of moving, right? Where you have to pack up your lives and go to a new house. And, and one of the things... Two thing, one of two things happened has happened to me and Kelly as in one of our 11 moves over the years. The new place is either too small for the stuff you brought from your last place or way too big for the life that you left and it has many unused and empty spaces. You wonder, what do we do here? There's a passage in the book of Philippians that says this. Only let your manner of life Be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. To see Apostle Paul speaking to the church. I don't know whether you hear that, but the good and right and perfectly used by God ministry And testimony is one of striving, of struggle, of opponents, of opposition, of suffering, of conflict. But it is telling us that in the striving and struggle and opposition and suffering and conflict that look at God, the gospel comes through people who are experiencing those things. That people are hearing the truth and growing in faith and that God can be seen clearly and, 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 and that Jesus saves and secures his people through people who are going through periods of insecurity and not having as much clarity in their lives. This is John Wells' testimony. But little did he know He was not the only one going through transition whose lives are being downsized. When my co-labor and co-planter of Christ Central Church, Pastor Georgia Hyatt, took a call to be the pastor of a church in Winston-Salem, I was struggling. I was alone in this ministry. You know, I didn't know what to do. This church was in transition and had a huge hole in it. And look at God. Jesus helped me personally and our church as a whole, whole who was without any administrative or managerial leadership, but not just administrative. God has used this transitioning middle-aged like me man to light a fresh fire in my heart for ministry and is used like the Philippians in their struggle and transition of faith to stand firm again. 
face the opposition, to live in in uncertainty. John's testimony should encourage you today because your uncertainty and your struggle, your striving is God's perfect and fit ministry for somebody else in this world. Only God in Christ could do that. Your struggle is somebody else's hope. John, could you come forward? Let's pray. Trust me up here? I do. Okay. Despite the eagle comments. Despite the eagle comments? That's kind of bothering you a little bit? You want to take it to the court? We got two mics. You want to battle it out? Okay. Just. No? Okay. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Heavenly. <laughs> Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much. For the way you've used John Wells' life. There are people in this world, Lord, from Jamaica to England, Lord, to different places in Europe, even in this country, Lord, all over the place, who had not, who were unable to hear the gospel simply because of the media. Lord, we only had Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant. And for some of us, Lord, that was hard. (laughs) So, Lord, in all seriousness, Lord, we praise you that people came to hear the gospel in their issues, in their voice, in their language, Lord, like you did miraculously in the book of Acts, Lord. You spoke with a tongue that a certain group of people could hear. And what you were preaching, Lord, and teaching through cross movement through John was the gospel of salvation. We praise you for that. Lord, we pray for people in his same situation. Many of us have been used mightily, and we don't know what's going on now. There's so much transition happening in our lives, Father. We don't know whether we're being used. We're waiting to be used, Lord. We're, we're wondering what God is doing with us. And why this? And why now? And, and have desires. And, and it doesn't seem that the road is completely clear, but we're longing for more. Or some of us, maybe less. Lord, we trust you. Help us to do that. Help us to say, Lord, help, Lord, we need you. Help us to look at God. And Lord, we pray that you would not let us ever doubt that you can use us and you are using those of us who are not in clear cut places, who are transitioning, who don't know what's next, Lord. We please use our lives and even, Lord, give us grace to see how you're using us. Help us trust that you have a perfect fit because you're a perfect God for our people who are in imperfect looking situations. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, John.
actually grew up in the PCA church and I was baptized as a baby. Um, and this used to bother me a lot when I, when people would ask when I came to faith and I wanted to have this cool story and be like, oh my gosh, there is this day and all of a sudden everything changed. And um, I thought maybe like I would see God's grace better if I could, or people would see God's grace better um, if I could tell them that. But honestly, I do not remember a day that I don't, that I did not know Christ as my Savior. Um, and in that, I've just seen so much grace. Um, as I watched like the Covenant Kids at Christ Central and other churches I've been involved with, just realizing like that's actually God's promise and that's how it should be. When I finished college, I um, worked with RUF um, at Davidson College for a couple years. And meeting with college students it really brought out a lot of the fears that I had been able to kind of put away and think that I had gotten over in college. Um, because when you're in ministry, it kind of flows, uh, throws all your sin up into your face. <laughs> and um, you just start to see everything that you really struggle with, all your insecurities, and I have a lot of them. Um, and they, it just felt like they were constantly there. And I really, started to just um, become overwhelmed really with a depression that came out of just feeling like I was a failure, just a fear of being a failure in my job, in um, my relationships with the students, in my relationships with my friends, my family, um, and then especially in my relationship with Christ, just feeling like I have to be a total failure. It was very, like, almost paralyzing. Um, and it was through a series of events. It was through um, the love of the Speakman family who was at Davidson at that point, and I know at Christ Central too, so some of you guys might know them. Um, and then through um, a really wise counselor that I was with. that I just kind of started to see God in a whole different way. I saw Jesus as someone who is really gentle um, and who loves us in the middle of our fear, who doesn't tell us to quit being afraid before that we, before we can come to Him, but who says, don't be afraid because I'm with you, because I'm here in the middle of your fear. And it was starting to see Christ as gentle and as a gentle Savior. It really started to hit home for me. I think I saw grace in a completely new way. I have a big family. <laughs> And my youngest sister is still at home um, with my parents. And it's about a couple of years ago, I think. My youngest sister is the only one still at home. And she, my mom was going through a really tough time um, emotionally, mentally. Um, and a lot of that was kind of coming out on my little sister. And it just, it wasn't a safe place for her to be, I didn't think, to be at home. She was really struggling. Um, spiritually, emotionally. I kind of didn't know where to go to it, but I also knew that I had a new family at Christ Central, and I knew that somewhere in that, God had grace and God would provide, and um, had some older women who I was able to speak with, and um, in particular, Nora Cheryl and I sat down and just had conversation after conversation, and she really poured a lot of time and prayer into me and into my family and we were able to talk through that. Um, she 
had me talk to the session, which <laughs> freaked me out <laughs> to have to share something so personal and dear to my heart. Um, and they were praying for my family and for me. And people would just continually come up and ask how things were going and how is my family doing. And that was not something I could have gone through on my own. Um, it was absolutely God working through um, the family at Christ Center. I guess I struggle with thinking, um, you know, I want to have my own family and maybe God will love me better through that than he does right now. And I know that's not true and he has proved that over and over and over to me. And he's so good in everything that I see and so good in providing me with a family at Christ Central and um, with kids here to love that I get to teach every month in children's church and families that I get to sit with and be in community with. And um, so just trying to put all those things together and realize that you know what it doesn't matter because God loves me so much and um, is has his has my best interest at heart for his glory it's just something I struggle with though One of the pastors of New City South in St. Louis, Missouri, and former pastor of mine for a short period, Reverend uh, Mike Higgins, who is from St. Louis, told his testimony of how he came to Jesus. And he told us that he was stealing cars in St. Louis and was running from the police and jumped into a trash bin. And it was in that trash bin that he heard the voice of the Lord. And he came to Jesus right there. When I hear conversion stories like Mike's, I can't help but think I am a boring Christian. <laughs> Nothing about my life would God put in the Bible. My story would not make it to the big screen. It would be in the artsy and slow section of Netflix. <laughs> and I think you may have heard some of that uneasiness even from Anna herself in this testimony. And some of you may even be thinking it. Anna ain't been through nothing, Right? Don't be prejudiced, y'all. She's struggling with the common, you know, privileged, smart, white girl issues of depression, overachieving, competency, anxiety, and wanting to get married and have children. If you get caught up there, you fail to look at God and see him in this testimony. Anna may not have found God in the trash bin, but from her testimony, regardless of the means, Satan and the world try to trash the promises of God that the Lord made to her as a covenant child. And for Anna and young women like her, the perfect and most powerful weapons are depression and achievement anxiety and feeling unwanted to be in traditional female roles. And, and I don't know whether you know this, but this stuff is lying to and destroying and dumping on and trashing single women all over the world. And it is straight from hell. But look at God. Not out of a trash bin. But from under a poured over trash heap, God's promises and powerful grace prevailed and preserved and is keeping and pulling her through some of the greatest enemies of her faith and soul. 
Revelation 12 says this, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers and sisters, that is, has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him. By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. You know what Anna's testimony powerfully bears witness to? That in this world, like in the Revelation passage, that Satan is seeking to accuse and lie to and depress and blame folk for not being good enough or their stories are too goody-two-shoes and not dramatically broken enough to be useful or deserving or representative enough of God's love. And who are they that Satan, that dragon is after and seeking to lie and deceive? They are God's covenant people like you and me and our children who, like Anna, have to grow up in this world. Look at God. Anna's testimony is revelatory of our Lord and Father who, is, who, who keeps and comes through on his promise to care for us and love us. And promises, what? Not to lie and not to lose us and not walk away from us and, 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 and not walk away or, or lose us because we're not fantastic or worthy enough of, of his attention. But look at God. Even using the testimony of people like Anna as a tool of power over Satan and sin. His people like Anna and our children and those who are the children of the church sitting down front. Praise God. You will conquer and overcome in this world because of Jesus' promises to you and your parents. That is a testimony worth holding on to people of God. Amen.